I'm going to start out with a couple verses from Psalm 139, the last two verses of that chapter, verses 23 and 24. Psalm 139 ends this way. The psalmist declares, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Will you pray with me? God, you can search us and you know us. God, even before we ask, but as we have this example in your word, God, just drive out all the wickedness in us so that we become more like you, that we are a better picture of Jesus. God, may we not overcomplicate it, and may we get out of your way and let your, the light of your son shine through. In Christ's name, I ask all of these things. Amen. I'll read another passage from Psalm, Psalm chapter 100. And then what we'll do today is we're wrapping up. We've been going through really for a couple months. We've been looking at the importance of, of church membership and what that, what that means and what that looks like from a biblical perspective. What scripture says about each individual member is important because we all have a, a part to play and a role to fill. So we talked about the importance of understanding biblical church membership, what that is and what it's not. And then over the last few months, we continued even talking about what I will do because of that, because of this truth, because of what God has declared and shown to me in his word and made evident, here are the things that I'm going to go out in my life and I'm going to do. And we're going to kind of wrap up this I will series today, but I'm going to read Psalm 100 for us now. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God that it is he who made us and we are his, that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. One thing about knowing some Bible verses in songs, sometimes it makes it harder to read it. If the translation's a little different than how the song sings, you kind of got to pay attention. But then if you mess it up, hey, God's word still shines through. We're not trying to deceive or to change anything in there. But God's love is so great and so big. And that he is faithful and he wants for us to follow after him and to be obedient with the call that he's put before our life. So today in our time, we'll talk about how I will make a difference. And the same thing is true for me and for you and for everyone. We're here to make a difference. We're here to make a difference in the church, as the church. We're here to make a difference in our communities, in our circles of influence that we all have. You know, you can reach somebody with the example for Jesus that I can't. You can explain it in a way. You can live it out in a way. You have relational collateral with someone where they trust you. And that if you model for them what Jesus told us how we're supposed to live, they're going to buy into that because they know you and they trust you and they know that you care for them. And the same is true for every person here. We have people that we can influence. We have ways that we can help people know more about Jesus, better understand what the biblical church looks like and how God wants me to live as a Christian. And one of the problems I, I, that I find in life 
is that when I become familiar with something, I can take it for granted. I can say, oh, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. Oh, yeah, I know I should wear this safety harness when I'm up in the tree trying to kill animals, but I don't really have to. I'll be okay. Right? You become comfortable at things. And then I was explaining to my now six-year-old just today. She's six. Last night she was five. Don't tell Jesse, okay? But as I was explaining to her, I said, Ella, you've got to be really careful. We're riding bikes. And I, she said, I'm a really good bike rider, Daddy. <laughs> okay. I said, baby, you especially have to be careful when you think you're getting good at doing something. Because it's then if you're not paying attention, you could get hurt. And I think the same is true for Scripture. If I'm not paying attention, I can get hurt. I can think that I know. And, and, and I might know, but I can come become sloppy in my behavior or in my practices. And I can let down my guard and give the enemy just a little bit of room to come in and for him to make a difference. And I don't want him to make a difference, but I want to make a difference. And my faith as the church, as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, and whatever role you guys play, we all have these different people that we influence for our faith. Every Christian is called to be an ambassador for Christ, to bear the name of Jesus, and to know what we believe and why we believe. Now, it's not a well-guarded secret. We're never going to have all the answers, none of us. But God wants for us to be prepared and for us to really believe that I can make a difference. And you can. And I know that to be true because you're not doing it by yourself. I'm never doing it by myself. At least I shouldn't be. But I'm doing it together within the context of this Christian community that we call the church. Where I know that I am loved and cared for and protected. And also that there will be people in my life that will help to challenge me when I need to be challenged. And that I can make a difference because I have Jesus in my life. I have the power of God through the Holy Spirit, which is a promise that God gave to all of his followers. Every person that chooses to be obedient to Scripture and to follow after him has the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of them. And that includes you if you're a Jesus follower. That's you. So you have the power of God in you. And you can make a difference. Everybody is important. Everyone has something to accomplish. Everybody can make a difference. But sometimes even the best laid plans fall to the wayside, or at least from our human perspective. <coughs> His name was Jeremiah Lamphere. The date was September 23rd, 1857. The location was New York City. At the time, the population of New York City was less than a million, probably between 800,000 and a million people lived in New York City. Now, for days, Jeremiah had been handing out pamphlets about a time of prayer that they were going to have a few days later. In fact, that was his job. It's what he was doing to, to just call people back to prayer because he had this deep belief. And the people that supported him had this deep belief that prayer matters that prayer works, and that prayer is powerful, and that when God's people, when we humble ourselves and pray and we go before him and we petition things to God, that he moves in ways that we can't understand. So in the days leading up to the event, this hour of prayer, he handed out more than 20,000 flyers himself. Jeremiah was a man under God's conviction, and he was desperate for a move from God, and he knew no human-powered intervention 
He knew no human-powered organization, no cunning, no scheming, no crafts of men could cause to happen what he knew needed to happen. That God could be the only one to orchestrate such a move. So what did he do? He did what we should all do. He prayed. He said, God, you need to move and people need to know you. And there needs to be a change, not just in, in my neighborhood or my town or my city or my state, but in our country and in the whole world. So he prayed. And Jeremiah called other people to pray as well. He probably had great anticipation that many would show up on noon, September the 27th, for that hour of prayer. At the time that New York City had a population of under a million people, he handed out 20,000 flyers, and for sure, flyers get passed around, so more than the original 20,000 recipients of his flyers had seen it, that they knew that something was going on. So he went to the room of the church where they're going to have their first meeting, and he waited, and he heard some footsteps coming down the hall, and six other people showed up with him for that first meeting. Six. So there are seven of them. So what do they do? They prayed. And they asked for God to move in their city. And they asked for Jesus to be, to be made known. And the next week, they had it at the same place, in the same location, and they doubled in their attendance. They went from six, had 14 other people joined him there. And then the third week, there were 23 people, and they kept meeting every week. And it kept growing. And the prayer meetings continued to grow. Because the presence of God is powerful, and the people in those meetings could feel that place. And because of what I know about prayer, I know that even people that weren't in that meeting could feel the power of prayer. Because when God lays something on our heart, and when my heart aligns with God's heart and what he wants, powerful things happen. And we ask God to move, and we think it's like, oh God, I really feel your presence, and I see you doing things. But God is always present. God is always around us. Whether we feel him or not, honestly, is kind of indifferent because he is there. And I think what makes the difference the most, at least from what I have seen when I pray, is that I need to expect God to do something. Not that he's some cosmic vending machine and I can just push the buttons and do all the right things. And God has to respond to my prayer because God's not obligated to me ever. Only by his word, which he will keep because he told us that he will keep his word. And he's never going to go back on that. But I know that when I pray that God, when I align my heart with God's heart, what I'm going to do is my prayers are going to align what God's prayers would be. The things of my heart, the desires of my heart are going to be the desires of God's heart. And when I am seeking after those things and I want those to accomplish and I've got God behind me doing that, changes are going to happen. Those who were in the meetings that grew from an extra 6 to 13 to 24 in attendance decided to have their gatherings every day as the meetings kept growing. Their numbers continued to increase by winter of 1857, just that same year. The meetings were filling three large church buildings of people coming together to pray. By the March of the next year, that spring, every public hall in church in New York City was filled for people praying. In fact, Horace Greeley, a famous newspaper editor, sent a report to attempt to count the attendance of the meetings. Now, his counter could only make it to six different locations by horse and buggy in the hour that they were meeting. But by his count, as he went and was reporting on this movement that was happening from people of faith, coming together to pray, orienting their day and going away from work, making it a priority to pray and to go before God, he counted in those six different locations on that day, 61,000 people in New York City in 1858 were 
getting together in the middle of the day to pray. And we would say today, well, we're a lot busier than they are. And we're not really, or if we are, it is self-inflicted, and it's not something that is mandatory. The prayer movement continued to spread across the nation. At one point, uh, 10,000 people were becoming believers every week, and more than one historian estimated that out of that movement to get God's people together to pray for God, to move in our country, to move in their family, to move in their workplaces, to move in the city, is estimated that over a million people came to have a genuine faith with Jesus because of these prayer meetings that happened. During this period of time, it was known as the third great awakening for faith, that people would come to leave work and to pray, and that similar things were happening all across the country, not just in New York, but all over the place, that the people were turning back to God or turning to God for the first time, and there was this enormous shift. And how people were responding to the gospel. A movement had begun. In the very first week, there were seven total people there. There were six that joined Jeremiah. There were seven. I wonder what they felt like in that first week. I wonder if they looked around the room and they said, hey, there's more empty pews than not. We're not really going to make a difference. I wonder if they looked around and said, well, we failed. Surely if we we're going to do something God-sized, that there would be more people that wanted to know about him and they would be here. But they continued. And they were steadfast in their belief and in the direction that God was calling them towards. Because what you will find is that as you align your heart with God's heart, when your heart wants the things that God wants, when my mind begins to understand the truths of Scripture, that God's going to call for me to be obedient. And God's definition of success is not the same as the world's definition of success. You know, men, we judge the outward appearance, and God judges the heart. And when we're searching after things of God, trying to determine is it successful or not is kind of difficult to do. But when we know when you're following after Jesus, when you're spending time talking to your Father, when you're spending time in His Word digesting it so that it moves from your head to your heart and out to your hands and the way that you live, you're going to know when God's calling for you to act. Even when nobody else might want to seem to join you, when you know God and how He wants for you to live, and when He's calling for you to do something, you just have to stick with it. Sometimes we just need to stick with it and know that, hey, I can make a difference. And to know that prayer makes a difference. In fact, we, we live in a world where our pace is so frantic. There's always so much we feel like we have to do. We've got to get this done or the world's going to end. That's how we act sometimes. Is how I act sometimes. But what I really need to do is orient myself for things of God, for things that matter the most. And what matters to Jesus are people. And the way that Jesus showed us that people matter are through relationships. And Jesus invested in relationships with people. He took time to sit down and to eat with them. He took time to address people who were mourning, who were suffering heartbreak. And Jesus took time to teach. He took time to reteach. <laughs> he took time to live with his disciples, to call out ordinary men to follow him so that they could become fishers of men. And the world has never been the same 
ever since then. So when we're seeking out the things of God, we need to make sure that we're asking God, Father, show me what you want to accomplish. God, encourage me along the way. Because honestly, if we are very transparent with one another, you know, we could do a lot better as the church. There are things that as the people of God that we could do better, that we could reach more people, we could be a better picture of Jesus. But friends, it doesn't start with the institutional church. The problem isn't there. The problem isn't a denomination, or in our case, a non-denomination. The root of the problem is me. The root of the problem is you. The root of the problem is us because we have this enemy who's working against us and he does not want the things of God to accomplish. He does not want the dreams that God has for us, the plans that God has for your family to be, to be for your relationships to be healed and restored in some cases through the power of Jesus. Our enemy doesn't want that to happen. So he does everything within his power to draw us away from the things of God. And he wants you to believe that I can't really make a difference. My faith is kind of weak at best. And I've been stuck in this place for maybe my entire adult life, and I don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I'm understanding God any better. I don't feel like I'm maturing in my faith. And so the enemy will whisper or yell or plant a big billboard right outside your house and say, you can't do it. You can't make a difference. Things are never going to turn around. And that's just not true. If we just look at this event, these human effort, yeah, that went into this prayer meeting that turned into this great awakening in our country where people came to God and many people came to faith. It started with one person being diligent, one person realizing that they were going to be obedient to what God was laid before them to do. And I'm going to hand out these flyers and I'm going to see who shows up. And we're going to pray. And we're going to keep doing that, even though it may not make sense to the world. We're going to keep doing that because God has laid that on us. He has told me that that's what I need to do. So Jeremiah Lanfear knew that he couldn't create a movement, a movement, but God could. And that it was his job, it was his part to petition God on behalf of the people that he was going to encounter so that they could come to know Jesus. His role was to say, I will. When God put something before him, he said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take action. And I may not understand it, and it may make me uncomfortable, and it may take me out of my comfort areas, and it may cause me to fail or to mess up or to embarrass myself, but I'm going to do that. And friends, what I think it's time for us as the church is to make sure that we take 1 Corinthians 12 seriously. I talked about it an awful lot over the last couple of months, but it, it's this analogy where we have the, the, the body, the church, is like a body. And we have all these different parts that make us up together. And it's when all the parts are functioning together, all the parts that God has crafted and brought together are functioning together that we can be the best picture of Jesus. That we can become, each one of us can become a vital part of the church to find our role, to find what God wants for you to do for whatever season you are in life. And we're, we're younger and older and we're busy and less busy and we're working and retired and have kids and grandkids and single and whatever. God still, as long as there's breath in our lungs, he wants to use every person in his kingdom so that there are more workers in the field and there are more things that you can do. So you have to believe that God wants to use you in the church, that God wants to use your life to influence the life of somebody else. And I think maybe what we need to do, and this is some of what I talked about last week, is that I need to raise my expectations of what God can accomplish through us. I need to raise what I think God wants for me to do because sometimes I think we just set the bar way too low. 
Or sometimes, as probably 10 or 12 different country music songs have used the phrase, you know, um, we've got to be careful what we pray for because we may get it. I think sometimes, or at least I find myself praying in ways that I don't really expect God to move. Think about that for me. Do you ever feel like you do that? Do you ever pray sometimes just to pray? Now, there are times in life, and sometimes you have dry seasons in your faith, and you need to do the right things because they're the right things to do, okay? But other times I think we can pray and have no expectation that God hears us or have no expectation that God's going to respond or that God's going to move or that God wants us to know that he hears us and to know that he is going to answer our prayer. You know, sometimes it's when I ha we have those high expectations that we feel like maybe I will meet those. If other people believe in me, I feel like I can accomplish those things and I can be encouraged along the way. Now, don't confuse that too much. We're not going to try to build up God's ego or what he thinks of himself because we, we can't do that. But when we genuinely and authentically pray in ways that we expect God to do something because our prayers line up with the prayers of Jesus, that your prayers line up with the prayers that we can read about in Scripture, about how we can go before God and petition Him, that's going to make a difference in our family, in our community, and wherever we go. It's time for us to say that I will, that I will make a difference, and to believe that you can make a difference, and God wants for you to make a difference, and that maybe you can be the catalyst in your family. Maybe nobody else is a believer but you. Maybe you and maybe it's just been you for 30 years and you feel like it's never going to change. And you know what? I can't tell you that it will. I can't tell you that it won't. You never know in what season God is going to move in the lives of people who don't yet recognize who Jesus is, who have not yet come to faith. But what God calls for us to do always is to be faithful, to know that God is there with us and to be obedient with what God has called for us to do to say, I will believe that I can make a difference and to go out and to live my life in a different way, to believe that I can make a difference in the church and as the church, everywhere that we go, influencing people for Jesus. You can also say that I will have the attitude of Christ and put other church members' wants and desires before mine. Jesus tells us that to love others as we love ourselves, really to think of others before we think of ourselves. We will say that I will gladly participate in corporate worship with my fellow members as long as I am physically able to do that. We know that the church is so much bigger than right here at Cross Plains, but we hope that for whatever time or season that you are here, that you're able to grow in your faith and you're able to mature, that if you move to another place, whether if it's physically or even right here, that you are able to help them know Jesus better because you're committed to what Christians, ever since the very beginning of the church, have been committed to, of coming together and to worship and to looking to the needs of others before we look to the needs of ourselves. We also can make this claim that says, I will get involved in a group. I'm going to get involved in a group of people so that they can know me and that I can be known and I can know them and that we can hold one another accountable through Christian love and community and care for one another so that I can we allow ourselves to be accountable to one another because God works in ways that are powerful there. As Christians and as the church, we can also make this declaration that I will go and share the gospel with others in word and deed, and I will not be ashamed of Jesus. I will not be ashamed of Jesus. I think, if we're all honest, we could be, 
I know that I could do better. Hey, I'm not going to be ashamed of Jesus. I'm not going to be ashamed of my faith. I'm going to look for opportunities where I can bring that up with people. And if they blow me off or think I'm stupid or if I say the wrong thing, which I've done before, come back. Or I probably already said the wrong thing, right? That happens. We stumble over in our words. But knowing that I'm going to look for opportunities where I can share God with other people. And he's not calling for me to be perfect, but he's calling for me to be there and to be present in the lives of other people and to not be ashamed of him. We're also called as the church to say that I will give abundantly of what I have and joyfully recognizing that God is the owner of everything that I currently steward. That God has entrusted them to me for a season. We also make this declaration that says that I will participate in the life of my church because God leads me to do so, not because I feel compelled to or that I'm going to overcommit or if I want to please people. But more than anything else, I want to please God. Please God. On some avenue or the other, we all probably fall into this um, tendency to want to please people. Even those of us that say that we don't, <laughs> there's still some of it there. But I should be much more concerned about with what God thinks of my life than what people think of my life. Now, don't mishear me. God can work through you to speak into my life to show ways how I can grow and how I'm doing well and things like that. But I should be most concerned with what God thinks. And that we can also declare that I will focus on what Christ has done for me and not the flaws of church or leaders or members or mistakes of the past, but focus on what God is calling for us to do. And that we can say, I will pray for God to use me as an instrument to revive his church for his name and for his glory because God works through people, not through institutions or organizations or nonprofits or all that. God works through the most important organization that has ever existed, and that is the church. And the church exists because Jesus came not to serve, but to be served and give his life as a ransom for many. And if I'm to live my life to reflect Jesus to others, I have to be willing to serve others first, not secondarily or if I have time, but to look to serve others first. And we're going to do that as we develop a community of believers if we say that I will. Because I know what God has done for me. I know what Jesus has done and I want to recognize that and I can read scripture and reread scripture and study scripture and know what it says so that I can turn around and live that out. But we know that God is going to work through people. God is going to work through relationships. That's the way he has always worked. It's the way that the church will always continue to work. And then really that's how we grow best in our faith because that's how Jesus did it. He taught his disciples and he grew in relationship with them and he modeled for them his message in the same way that we will grow as the church. We will make more and better and more mature disciples when our message, when we model that for other people. We're not going to be perfect as Jesus was, but this is the plan that Jesus gave for us to follow. And God calls for us to be obedient when you're following after him. God says be obedient and he's in charge of the outcome. Friends, that takes an awful lot of pressure off so many of us. Where we're, I'm not in charge of the outcome. I'm not in charge of how people respond because I can't make them respond genuinely. I recognize that obedience as the church and as a Christian starts with, with me. Much in the same way that sometimes disobedience starts with me and it can infiltrate to other people and it can become infectious. I'm going to be obedient to the, the call that Jesus has put on my life, knowing that prayer is important and that prayer matters and that prayer makes a difference. Um, as we close, I'm going to read a, a famous teaching from Jesus 
on prayer from Matthew chapter 6. Just think, keeping in mind that this great awakening that happened in our country in the 1850s happened because people committed themselves to go before God and to pray and to ask for him to visibly let him know that they were there so that more people could come to faith. Knowing that prayer is powerful, it's not our backup. It's what we should go to first. Easy to say, hard to live out. Jesus talks about prayer this way. In Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, uh, one of his most famous teachings, Jesus says this, And when you pray, do, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask them. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of your trespasses. In this model prayer that Jesus gives us, Notice the plural pronouns. It's our, us, we, praying for others. And it's really Jesus teaching us to pray in a, in a way to petition God with an expectation that he's going to hear us and that he's going to respond. 